I've been reading the Wall Street Journal for a very long time. It's not often that they do this, this full page spread. They have big headline news here that the Dow Jones Industrial Average has ended its 11-year bull run. So this means that for 11 years, the Dow Jones was going up and it never fell 20% more than its high. Right now, it just closed today 20% below its high, which means that the bull run is over. It's now in bear market territory. The S&P 500 is just behind it. So we're going to be talking a little bit about this. In other news, we have companies cutting their dividends. Occidental Petroleum has slashed its dividend, and not by just a little bit. They cut it from $0.79 a share to $0.11 a share. So what is that, an 80% reduction, even more than that? That's quite a bit of a reduction. Plus, this company has gone down in value quite a bit. It was trading around $40 a share. Now it's below 15 bucks a share. So I'm going to talk a little bit about this company, specifically the risks that I see in my portfolio with other companies doing the same thing. So we'll try to see if this is the beginning of a bigger trend or if there were unique factors in this company that made this happen. And then we have my portfolio, which has finally crossed over into the red. We're finally there. It's been hanging on for dear life for the past couple of days. I've been in the green just by a hair, and it just couldn't hold on any longer. We're finally in the red. The value of it is $72,599, and the gains is negative $484. So overall, if I go to the past month and I look at the performance, we're down 14.7% compared to the general market's 20%. So it's doing a little bit better. It's holding up a little bit better, a little over 5% there, but there are very few places to hide in this market. If I go over to an overall map here of the past 30 days, there's not much green. Investors are selling out of everything. We got Walmart that's hanging in there pretty good. Costco's doing okay. There's gold, so that's gone up a little bit in value for people that are holding on to gold. But other than that, if you're in the equity market, most likely your holdings have gone down a substantial amount in value over the past 30 days. So I want to talk about all of this. I have a lot of thoughts I want to share, some things on my mind, but I thought it would be interesting to do something here. I thought it would be interesting to go to my YouTube here and react to one of my older episodes. This was an episode that I recorded and uploaded January 20th of 2020. So not too long ago, just about five weeks ago, a little over a month ago. So it's episode 66 and the title of it is The Truth About the Unstoppable Stock Market. Now, if we can reverse time a little bit and see what I was saying then and, and talk to my previous self, I think it'll be interesting to see my perspective back then before we're facing all of these issues. So if I could go back in time and paint a picture of what things were like January 20th, it's in the not so recent past, but a lot of things have happened over the past six weeks. During January 20th, leading up to that point, everything was better. The air was cleaner. There was no virus going around causing a pandemic. There was toilet paper in grocery stores and even bottled water in grocery stores. The S&P 500 continued to march up every single day without much volatility whatsoever. In fact, if I plot this on a timeline for the one-year graph for the S&P 500, it's right about here is when I uploaded that video. So this is right at one of the peaks of the stock market. In fact, during the time of this recording, the stock market was breaking all-time highs like every single day. It was just getting higher and higher and higher. So I thought it would be interesting to go back, react to this video, and see some of the thoughts that I had on my mind during this time. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and play the first 20 seconds of it. I'll try to change how the audio sounds a little bit so that you can tell past me versus present me. But this is going to be past me talking. I sound the same, so don't get it confused. So I'm going to go ahead and play a 20-second clip starting now. 
Well, we are back. We have another week behind us, another week in the market. And that means another, let's take a look here. This is the one week view. Another $928.53 made. Past five days, this portfolio, my portfolio has gone up nearly $1,000, $930 in the past five business days. That's pretty good. In fact, I think it's amazing that I've discovered upon this stock market thing where you know, I don't know everything about it, but what I do know is it's this magical thing where you go and you simply deposit money into it. And then you watch as this green number of how much money you're making goes up and up and up every single day, day after day, week after week, month after month. Okay. So I pause it there. Now, obviously the beginning of that episode, I was being a little bit sarcastic. If you can't sense my sarcasm there, if you've watched my videos previously, sometimes I can be a little bit sarcastic. But that's what I'm doing in that clip. I'm saying that I discovered upon this magical thing where you just put money in and then you see your money just increase in value. And that's really what it felt like at the time. That's what investors almost thought the stock market was because up until that point, the stock market has been going up so steadily with such little volatility that it really gives you the impression that it's just this magical money-making machine. Okay, so I want to skip forward and play another clip here. It's about 30 seconds long. In this clip, I talk about a couple of different things. One of them is the recent gains the stock market has made up until that point of January 20th. And I also issue a warning. So that, I think, is the relevant part. Keep in mind that at the time, January 20th, investor sentiment was very strong. Investors really didn't have a concern in their mind. They were pouring money into the market every single day. So keep that in mind when you listen to this clip. I'll start it now. Just the past couple months, since October 7th, we're up 13%. That's since October of last year, we're up 13%. The stock market averages somewhere like 7 or 8% over the past 40 years. And just in a couple months, we're up 13%. So this has been a crazy thing to see. But part of this is that I want to sound an alarm, a warning of some sort, that you don't condition yourself to believing this is the direction it's going to go indefinitely, that this is how this is going to continue to go. The stock market will not continue to go up forever. These numbers that you're seeing, these huge market gains week after week and day after day, at some point, we're going to see the opposite happen. At some point, we're going to see a pullback. Okay, so I'll pause it there. In that clip, you know, things were really good at the time and investors were really excited and sentiment was very positive. And I wanted to issue a warning. That's what I said in it, that you don't condition yourself to believing that this is how investing is going to be all the time, that you don't condition yourself to believing that you're going to see these huge gains week after week. I even mentioned that we're going to see at some point a significant reversal of that, that instead of market gains every single week, we're going to see market losses every single week. That is exactly what we're seeing right now. So I didn't know that it was going to be this soon. I didn't realize that it was going to be something that we saw in the next five weeks, right? Nobody can time these type of things perfectly. But I knew that eventually this would happen, that eventually the markets would reverse. Now, in the next clip I want to look at, I talk about what I use as validation for my investment decisions, what I use as a gauge of whether I'm being successful or not in my investment decisions. So a lot of people have different ways of analyzing their investments and looking at whether they're being successful. They gauge it in different ways. I'm going to talk about the things that I look at. So I'll go ahead and play this next clip now. So I look at this and I I think it's interesting. I see the stock market. It's breaking records. You know, it's going up day after day, week after week, and it makes investors very excited, makes them feel validated in the decision you're making. Because if you decide to put money in and you buy something 
and it's for the purposes of investing. So you want it to eventually go up in value. And then every single day it's going up in value. What that can do is in your mind, validate the decisions you're making. You can say, well, I invested in it. I purchased it. It went up in value quickly. So I made a good decision. And I don't really love that train of thought. I don't like thinking that way because what is implied with that train of thought is that if you bought a company at a fair price and then the market goes down, which it eventually will go down, we will have another time where it drops 10, 20, 30, maybe even more. There's times where the stock market drops a lot. Those are called bear markets. When that happens, you'll feel like your decision is invalidated, like you made an incorrect decision in purchasing these companies. So it's a double edged sword. If you feel like market gains and having that every single day validates the decisions you're making, you're going to feel invalidated when you start to see red numbers. And week after week, you see the stocks that you purchase going down. Okay, so I'll pause it there. In that clip, I talk about a couple things. One of them, as I mentioned, that eventually we're going to enter into a downturn. We're going to enter into a time when the market goes down 10, 20, 30, or 40%. And I even say that's called a bear market, which is literally what we just entered in today. The Dow Jones is in a bear market right now. So that happened pretty quick. We're in a bear market now. But I also mention how even though at this time I was sitting with $11,500 market gains, I did not look at that as validation for my investment strategy. I didn't say, hey, guys, I am up $11,500. That means I made all the right decisions with my investments. I don't look at market gains as validation for making the correct decision. And likewise, I don't look at capital gains loss as making the wrong decision. So I don't use it to either validate or invalidate my investment decisions. In fact, I go on in this clip to explain what I do use as validation for whether or not I'm making the correct investment decisions. I'll go ahead and play this next clip where I explain what are the indicators that I actually look at. What I choose to look at is the companies that I'm buying, the price that I'm buying them at. They have decent PE ratios if they're really solid companies with large moats that offer great products and have a a good future. Ones like Disney, Costco, Home Depot, Target. These are what I think are very solid companies. I don't really care what other people value them at. In fact, if more people are valuing them really highly and purchasing them up and up and up, That works to my disadvantage. I would rather have Disney and Costco and Home Depot drop in price so that my dividends, the payments that I'm getting, can purchase more of these companies. So every day when my portfolio goes up and up and up in market gains, I look at it and go, man, I kind of wish the market would slow down. I wish that we had another time where it dropped 10, 15 percent. It would make me more excited to put my purchases in. When I see it going up every single week after week, I don't feel really validated in my decisions as much as I feel like I wish it was going the opposite way. I wish it was going a little bit cheaper so that I could get companies that I already know are really solid companies at a cheaper price. Okay, so I'll go ahead and pause it there. In that clip, I say a couple things. One of them, you got to be careful what you wish for. I said in that clip that the market gains don't really excite me that much as much as it does make me believe that I'm paying a lot for these companies. When everybody else is piling money into these great companies that I want to have ownership of, that doesn't help my efforts of owning a lot of that company. All it does is increase the share price so that every dollar that I deposit into my brokerage, it does less for me. I purchase less of the company for every dollar that I that I put in. So I look at this and when the stock market falls 20% from its highs, When we start seeing these prices come down like crazy, 
it does not invalidate my investment decisions. I already know that I want to own these companies. I already know that I want to own Disney. I want to own Costco. I want to own Target and Home Depot and Nike. These are great companies that I've done a lot of research on. This stuff right now doesn't change that. Joe Biden becoming president wouldn't change it. The coronavirus sticking around for a year or whatever doesn't change that. I want to own these companies. I think that they're going to be around probably longer than I am. So these are companies I really want to have a lot of ownership in. The issue with market gains going up like crazy is it makes it so that my money has less purchasing power. Now that some of these companies have gone down in value drastically, it actually empowers me to be able to purchase a lot more of them. In fact, if I go look at a company like Disney right now, here's the past year. Before this point, Disney was trading at around 120, and then they announced that they were coming out with Disney Plus, the streaming service. They showed what it looked like, and people really liked the service. It was simple, easy to use on every single device. Multiple people could use it in the family. It has local downloading. It had everything that people wanted in it. And the stock price shot up 20% with Disney. It went from 120 a share up to $134 a share, and then Disney continued to climb. It went all the way up to $151 a share. At this point, I thought that I missed out on Disney. This was an investment that now it's so expensive. Every single time I try to purchase a share, I'm paying $151 for a share. So I thought I missed out on an opportunity here. But as you can see, since this high point, Disney has dropped down substantially. Right now, it's trading at $105 a share. So like I mentioned in this clip, I do not look at capital gains as validation for my investment decisions. The investors that put money into these companies, they can take it out just as quick. I think it's a mistake to look at short-term capital gains as validation for your investment decisions. These investors that put money into these companies so quickly and so aggressively are pulling their money out just the same right now. If I go to this map of the S&P 500, this is over the past 30 days, they've pulled money out of everything. Virtually every single company has lost substantial market value. So investors are not being that discerning. This is where people are selling out abroad ETFs. Hedge funds are pulling hundreds of billions of dollars out every single day. So I look at this and I think, what companies do I really want to have ownership of? What companies are substantially cheaper now than they were four weeks ago that I've been wanting to buy for a long time, but now I have a better price entry point? That's what I'm looking at here. I'm going through my portfolio and I'm thinking about companies that I think will outlive the coronavirus, that will outlive political concerns, that would outlive a recession. So if the economy goes into recession, I want companies that will be able to survive that type of economic decline. And if I found a company like that, I will be buying more of it. Now, I want to go back to this episode and play one more clip from it. So this is just a short clip where I talk about what I'll be doing or not doing based off different market environments. When the market decides to go down, okay, that's great. I'll continue to purchase these companies that I think are really solid companies, and I'll be able to track the amount of money that I'm making in dividends, the passive income stream that I'm growing. So either way, whether the market continues up or down, I'm going to continue buying shares in these companies. I'm going to continue dollar cost averaging in, but... I just wanted to start by signaling, you know, something for you guys to look at. If you're somewhat new to investing, realize that the market will go down at some point, And that's not something to be concerned about. That's a time when you should try to pick up more shares. Okay, so I'll pause it there. Now, I say that if you're new to investing, the market's going to go down. That shouldn't be something that you're too concerned about. That should be a time to pick up more shares in companies that you want to own. So, what have I been doing over the past month? We can take a look at that. That's pretty easy to see. If I go to my activity feed here and I go to my trading, so what have I been doing? I've been buying. 
That's really what I've been doing is picking out companies that I already want to own. And now they're at pretty good valuations. They're coming down in price a lot more than they were five weeks ago. So I've been buying over the past month. That's what I've been doing. I haven't taken all my life savings, all my savings and dumped it into the market. I don't think that that would be responsible to do. So I wouldn't suggest doing that. We don't know how far the stock market will fall. But what we do know is that it's substantially cheaper than what it was four weeks ago. That is a strategy that I've outlined that I would be doing in this situation. This is something where I've, I've thought about this before. It's not the first time that I've considered what I would do if my portfolio went into the red and if we saw a substantial pullback. And that is exactly what we've seen, a substantial decline. It says here on the Wall Street Journal that adding to the shock for investors, the speed of the market's fall, the move from all-time highs to bear market territory was the fastest on record for the Dow, taking just 19 sessions. So in 19 trading days, it fell 20%, the fastest on record. That's pretty substantial. And I don't know how long this is going to continue, but my plan remains the same. It's pretty simple. I'm just going to continue dollar cost averaging into this portfolio, picking out companies that I think will come out okay if we do have a big recession. So if we go through a big recession, if this really is a huge economic contraction, then some companies in my portfolio probably won't make it through it okay. But I think that most of them will. And that's what I'm hoping for. So my plan's pretty simple. I'm going to continue buying as the market continues to fall. Now, in similar news, we have dividend cuts. And this is very scary news for dividend investors. This is the type of thing that puts chills up your spine. If you're somebody that's focused on creating a stream of passive income, is having the assets that you own, the companies that you've been investing in, decide that they no longer have the financial standing to be able to pay out shareholders. And this is exactly what happened with Occidental Petroleum. They have slashed their dividend. They say that they're lowering it from 79 cents a share to 11 cents a share. On top of that, you might notice that Occidental Petroleum has also seen massive capital gains loss. So the company went from $41 a share to now $11.80 a share. That is a pretty substantial loss in market cap. And this is a double whammy situation. Shareholders of this company have seen massive capital gains loss on top of a loss of passive income, both at the same time. This is really the worst situation to be in as a dividend growth investor. There's a couple of questions I wanna ask about this. First of all, what causes this type of thing to happen? And second of all, is it something that's gonna be happening to other companies that I own? Now, I'm not an Occidental Petroleum shareholder, so I don't have the debacle of being in that situation right now, but I am a shareholder of two different oil companies, Chevron and ExxonMobil, and both of them have seen substantial market cap losses. So I've lost a lot in market cap, but they're both continuing to pay dividends. My question is, what is the situation with oil? What is going on with this sector? So what I did was I emailed somebody that is a viewer of the show. He's worked in petroleum for 38 years. He's a PhD. I thought it would be interesting to get his perspective on this whole situation right now. So let me go ahead and read some of his email here. This is from Doc. He's actually retired. So he talks about what he's doing right now in this market dip when he's retired living off of dividends. And then he goes into what he thinks about the oil situation. He says, Joseph, I saw your latest video. And as always, it was interesting and helpful. You provide a point of view I have not yet considered. As for me in the current market, I am retired and have previously been taking most dividends and capital gain distributions in cash as needed, slowly selling small quantities of stock funds when they are high to keep 8% of my investments in cash. This is about two years withdrawals and is paying off in peace of mind as this low and volatile market. During the dip, I will buy small amounts of stock funds at low prices and sell small amounts of bond funds, which are at 52-week highs, essentially a bit of rebalancing. So my value on paper was hurt by the market dip, 
but I have plenty of cash, which was converted to cash when stocks were high for withdrawals as needed over the next year and a half to two years. My goal is to maintain or increase investment value over four years until my mortgage is fully paid and withdrawals can decrease, allowing greater net growth. So it's interesting to see how people in retirement that are living off of dividends have handled this big pullback. He's saying that he keeps a year and a half to two years of cash worth of cost of living. So he can live two years based off the cash that he has. And he's selling some of his investments in bonds that have gone up in price to buy some of the investments and equities that have gone down in price. So some rebalancing there. Now he continues on in this email sharing his thoughts about oil, what's going on right now. He says, as for the oil situation, decreased demand in jet fuel, gasoline, or other products is a pressure to lower oil price. But that is a small part of the story. The OPEC meetings were, at least in part, directed at addressing the lower price pressure by cutting or limiting production. As I understand it, and I'm certainly no expert on OPEC, the primary problem is between the members, led by Saudi Arabia, and the non-members, led by Russia. OPEC wants all members and non-members to limit production to maintain a better price. But Russia will not agree. In response, Saudi Arabia and Aramco has opened the spigot and increased production, causing the price collapse. This will put pressure on Russia and other non-members to align with OPEC. You may not recall, but $40 oil over several years was a significant factor in the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991. Oil at this price significantly reduces their revenue and will put pressure on Russia. So he's saying that this is pretty much a price war between Russia and Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia does not like that Russia won't join OPEC, and so they're punishing Russia by putting a lot of pressure on them by having their huge oil company, Aramco, that produces a massive amount of oil. They're opening up production during a time of lower demand. So that is collapsing the price of oil and putting a lot of downward pressure and market cap loss on all these other companies. Because if they can't sell oil profitably, then the value of these companies goes down pretty drastically. Now, he also links an article here. This one's from the Wall Street Journal called Big Oil's Big Dividends Are Under Threat. It says, major oil companies will struggle to cope if crude remains $35 a barrel, though Saudi Arabia will feel pressure as well. And right at the opening of this article, it says the only thing that major oil companies can do amid the plunging prices for their key commodity is to make spending cuts. If the oil price stays around $35 a barrel, even their dividends may not be spared. So why has Occidental Petroleum cut their dividend, but companies like ExxonMobil and Chevron have not cut their dividend yet? The answer is pretty simple. Occidental Petroleum did not have as strong of a balance sheet. They were running a lot closer to the edge of their balance sheet. They didn't have as much cash on hand to be able to handle this type of thing. So they're just the first to go in this oil price war. If this continues and we see the same thing happen where the Saudis decide to keep the price of oil below $40 a barrel, it is only a matter of time until ExxonMobil and Chevron and every other big oil company cuts their dividend. They simply cannot maintain that price level and be profitable enough to pay out shareholders forever. Now, Chevron has one of the strongest balance sheets in terms of the amount of debt and the amount of cash on hand that they have. ExxonMobil is pretty good as well, so they can afford to pay their dividend for a while but they can't do it indefinitely if oil remains at this level. So I'm going to keep an eye on these two companies. I wouldn't be surprised if they did down the road cut their dividend because they don't know how long this whole price war is going to go on and they need to reserve some cash. But right now, neither of them have cut their dividend. And if I go to my overall portfolio, none of the companies I own have announced dividend cuts. So, so far, so good. There are a couple that I think are in the danger zone. One of them is Boeing. 
That is a company that has so much bad news. They're losing so much money right now. So that's one that I think might be a candidate for cutting its dividend. Another one's in the real estate sector here. We have NRZ, which pays a very high yield. This is one that might cut its dividend. Although even if it does, it'll still probably end up paying a very high yield. So this is one that if they do, I'll probably still hang on to it. But other than that, you really don't know which one's going to cut their dividend. Any of these companies could have that happen if the economy really does start to retract. My goal is all about the growing stream of passive income. That's the main thing that I focus on. So we'll take a look and see if any of my companies cut their dividend. And if so, how much it affects my cash flow. I'll be factoring that in after this whole market dip for however long this lasts. I'm going to be analyzing my performance based off of the amount of cash flow that I lost. So how many companies that I own cut their dividend and how much of a reduction that made in my overall monthly income. So I'll be looking at all of that as we go through this downturn. Okay, let's get to some questions. Joseph at josephcarlsonshow.com is the email address. You can also message me on Twitter or Instagram or leave a comment in the videos. I check all of that. Now, the first one is a comment from Henry. He says, previously, I have disagreed with your reasons for saying dividends are superior, but I absolutely agree with the psychological framing that can be done to increase compliance. I'm so glad you said that. It's kind of like Ramsey's debt snowball. A robot wouldn't do it, but we're not robots. Well, Henry, I read this comment and I thought it was pretty interesting. I actually really like this comment. The first thing I'll say, though, is I don't like using the word superior. So I don't think that dividend investing is superior per se. I would say that investing strategies, they have benefits to them and then they have drawbacks. So I think that dividend investing has specific benefits to the strategy and also has some drawbacks. That's part of any investment strategy. If you focus purely on growth companies, you're going to have certain specific benefits to that, but you're also going to have specific drawbacks to it. Now, dividend investing, as you point out here, I think one of the much underrated benefits of this investment strategy is the psychological factors to it. So if there is an investment strategy that helps you stay invested during significant downturns, that is something that is very beneficial. That is where people lose a lot of money and make huge mistakes is during bad investment environments times like right now, that's when people end up losing a lot of money, is they sell out when things are going down. So if I have a strategy like dividend growth investing, where my mindset is to not look at the capital gains, not really concern myself with that, and I'm looking at something completely different, I'm trying to grow a passive stream of income, I'm trying to acquire a lot of assets that pay me out residually, and that's my focus, and that helps keep me invested, I think that that's a huge benefit to consider there. And you even do a good job relating it to Dave Ramsey's debt snowball. So Dave Ramsey has been helping people get out of debt for a very long time. I could look it up, but it's like decades by now. He's done studies on the best way for people to get out of debt, the quickest, most efficient way, the way where most people find success. And he's landed on the debt snowball. This isn't the only way to get out of debt. It's not the only strategy, but this is the one that he says is proven over and over again to be the most consistent, quickest way for people to get out of debt. So people that aren't familiar with the debt snowball, it's where you list out your debts, all the various ones that you might have from the largest to the smallest. And you simply start with the smallest first, regardless of the interest rate. Whatever one is the smallest debt, you tackle that one first. And then any type of freed up cash flow that you have now that you don't have to pay off that debt anymore, you roll that into the next smallest. And you continue to work up from the smallest debts to the biggest debt. The biggest one being the last one. That is the debt snowball. That is the strategy that he's landed on. Now, the interesting thing about this is the debt snowball is not the most mathematically efficient way to pay down debt. There's a quicker way to pay down debt mathematically speaking. That is the debt avalanche. 
that's where you don't care about the size of the different loans, but you simply focus on the ones with the highest interest rate. So whatever one is costing you the most money, whatever loan has the highest interest rate, you pay down that one first. And you list off your loans by interest rate, highest to lowest, you go from the very highest first to the lowest last. That's a different strategy. That's called the debt avalanche. Why does Dave Ramsey use the debt snowball over the debt avalanche? The debt avalanche is mathematically, theoretically quicker at paying down debt. So he gets criticism about this. Some people will say, hey, Dave Ramsey, why are you telling people incorrectly to use the debt snowball when the debt avalanche is a mathematically more efficient way to pay down debt? And Dave Ramsey has to explain to people over and over again that they've looked at the debt avalanche, that they've had different groups and they've tested these two different strategies and people consistently pay down debt faster with the debt snowball. Now, why is this the case? Why do people have more success with the debt snowball when mathematically the debt avalanche is a superior way? Dave Ramsey actually explains this on a blog post. He says, the debt avalanche and the debt snowball have a similar goal to help you become debt free, but the debt snowball gives you motivation and motivation is the secret sauce that gets you debt free faster. When you pay off the smallest debt first, You get a taste of victory, and that feeling of success is the momentum you need to tackle your next debt with a vengeance. With the debt avalanche, you won't get a feeling of accomplishment for a long time. You could lose steam and give up long before you even pay off your first debt. Sure, it might make sense mathematically to begin with a debt that has the highest interest rate, but let's get real. If we're focused on the math, we wouldn't be in debt in the first place. So Dave Ramsey understands that at least with paying down debt, that you can't look at what is the most mathematically and theoretically efficient way of paying down the debt. He knows that he's dealing with humans here. We're driven by different emotions, different motivations. We make a lot of our decisions based off of human factors. So this is something that doesn't just only apply to debt. It also applies heavily to investing. A lot of the decisions we make are based off of emotions. I think that dividend investing has a lot of benefits in that sphere in the psychological sphere. First of all, being paid dividends is something that's very motivating. If it helps you keep motivated and invest more, I think there's value to that. Another thing is that when we have falls in the market, you still are getting a return from these companies. You're still getting payout from these companies. If you own a purely growth company, that the only way that you can get value from it is having capital gains and it goes down in value, it's very difficult to hold on to that company. It's a a little bit different perspective there. You know that you're not really earning anything from that company unless it goes back up in value. So there's just a couple different things to look at there. I don't think that dividend investing is the ultimate superior form of investing, but I do think that it has some substantial psychological benefits. Ken says, hi, Joseph. I know it's very fashionable with financial YouTubers like yourself to not get into politics, But you must be curious as to why most billionaires supported socialists under uber-corrupt politicians like Hillary over one of their own, businessman Donald Trump. Further, how could millionaires and billionaires like Warren Buffett, Lloyd Blankfein, Jamie Dimon, and Ray Dalio support a young, unqualified Obama over fellow businessman Mitt Romney? You may not want to go to war, but the left is pursuing war with you, your money, and your freedoms. Cowardice is never rewarded. When the enemy removes your capital gains tax, even on dividends, perhaps you will understand what I am saying. I hope that you understand my message before it's too late. Best regards, Ken. Okay, Ken. Well, this is an interesting email. You say that you hope I understand your message before it's too late. I'm not sure I fully understand your message. So, first of all, you say, I know it's very fashionable for financial YouTubers like yourself to not get into politics. Okay, I think most financial YouTubers avoid politics because they're finance YouTubers. They're not political pundits. So that makes sense for them to mostly focus on finance. 
And I'll say that that's not something that I totally avoid in every situation. If I think that there's something that includes some politics, but it's heavily related to investments, that's something that I'll talk about. I've talked about Elizabeth Warren's plan to break up big tech companies. I've talked about different capital plans that Bernie Sanders has had. I've talked about Joe Biden winning on Super Tuesday and how that affected the market. So that's not something where I will never talk about anything politically related, but I'm coming at it through a investing lens. That's going to be the direction I come at it through. Now, you also say in this email, you refer to people of the other political side as the enemy. That is the viewpoint that you're referring to people that disagree with you on politics. You're calling them the enemy. So this is something where I think that you might be focused a little too much on politics. If you want me to get on and rail on one side of the political spectrum every single episode, day after day, you may as well turn on Fox News. That seems to be what you're looking for. You can watch a different Carlson there. You can watch Tucker Carlson, right? He's still on Fox News. He talks about how dumb Democrats are and how bad their plans are and everything every single day, as well as everybody else. So that's something that you can watch. And likewise, if you want to hear how dumb Republicans are and how bad their plans are and how incompetent they are, turn on CNN or MSNBC. You can get that as well. If you're a Democrat, you can watch that news if you want it. If you're Republican, you can watch Fox News and you will absolutely get the product that you're looking for here. If you're looking for somebody to just have everything be politically minded, referring to everybody else as the enemy, you're not going to get that here. This channel is about growing wealth over time. This channel is about using the current laws and the current environment we have and making the most money within the system that we have. So this is an advocacy group where I'm trying to change the system and change the different laws that we have. I'm not trying to advocate for changes in policy. What I'm doing is saying, this is the world we live in. These are the cards that we've been dealt. And here's how I'm planning on making the most money in this situation. So what I think, Ken, is that you're just looking for the wrong thing from here. That's not ever going to be something that I do. I'm not going to wage some war against the enemy, the other political side. I don't even really look at things through a political standpoint. The way that I view most subjects is, is based through a financial standpoint, an investing standpoint. I'm looking at how I can do things that I think have an immediate benefit to my family, my life, any way that I can increase the amount of safety and comfort that my family has, as well as have a stable future, grow wealth over a time period, maybe get to financial independence, those are goals that I'm focused on. I'm not focused on waging a war against the enemy political side. That's not something that really concerns me too much. So luckily for you, there are a lot of content creators that are doing that right now. They go back and forth on different social issues and argue about everything X, Y, and Z all day long. There's plenty of people that are creating the product that you're wanting, but I think you're looking for the wrong thing here. Okay, well, that's going to be all for this episode. If you guys want to talk more frequently, consider joining the Discord. I'm on that pretty much every single day. And I've had really good feedback with it so far. People really seem to like it so far. So consider joining that. There's a link in the description. Other than that, I'll try to have another update this weekend. So I'll be checking in with you then.